everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life. Because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. You can find Author Magazine at authormagazine.org. My uh, conversation with uh, the wonderful Jenny Mullen, debut novelist, memoirist, online personality. That's up there now. So go check it out again, authormagazine.org. And we are funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from Pendic Publication since 1955. You can learn about them, their yearly writers conference, all the classes they offer over at pnwa.org. Yeah, so we got a good one here for you today. Um, yeah, this guy uh, who um, Matthew Dix, he he's a fascinating. Well, he's a novelist, but he's a teacher. He's a storyteller. He's done stand-up comedy, but he's got a book out today uh, now called "Someday Is Today," all about creativity, harnessing your time and energy. And we had a great conversation about um, being productive, about being organized, about being creative, teaching, writing, everything. Really, it's all. All in there. And Matthew Dix is, as I said, he's the author of Some Days Today and nine other books, a best-selling novelist, nationally recognized storyteller, and award-winning elementary school teacher. He teaches storytelling and communications at universities, corporate workplaces, and community organizations. Dix has won multiple Moth Grand Slam story competitions and, together with his wife, created the organization Speak Up to help others share their stories. They also co-host the wonderful uh, Speak Up Storytelling podcast. Like I said, we just had a great time, and I'm so glad I get to share it with you now. Enjoy. Well, Matthew, welcome. Welcome to the show. It's good to have you on. It is an honor to be here. Thank you very much. Here's the latest. Someday is today. So you've written a book. You're a creative guy. You're a productive guy, but you've written a book about productivity. Uh, but this is book number eight. No, 11. 11? No, published. eight. Eight. It is eight. eight. Okay. Yes. I okay. wish it was 11, but it is eight. <laughs> okay. Six novels. Yeah. Um, and I first heard about you when your last book was sent to me. And I, we were going to, I don't remember what happened. It fell through. I was not story worthy, which yes. uh, I actually was recommending to some of my memoir students. So uh, oh. even though I didn't get to interview. So um, let's just talk about you a little bit. Uh, this is a book about productivity and you're a very productive guy and you've produced a lot. Um, you had a rough start though. You had a rough, rough start, a start that if you wanted an excuse not to do anything, you could, people would have allowed you to use, I think many people would have said, we give you a pass. You can wallow if you like. Is that fair to say? Yeah. You know, I, um, that rough start resulted in uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And, uh, you know, for years I was in therapy and I still have a therapist that I check in once a month with, and oftentimes I'm not dealing with any problems. So we talk about other things. Yeah. And he often says, you know, if you want to understand the problems uh, that people have with addiction and, and struggles like that, you just look at your own past because oftentimes, you know, you lose hope. And then once you've lost hope, you stop being productive and you start looking for other right. ways to feel okay about the world. And that's right. what happens to people. Yeah. And this book starts off this book. Uh, someday is today. Let me give you the full, the full subtitle is 22 simple, actionable ways to propel your creative life. And so 
Um, but you start off talking about hope. This is sort of the one of the foundational concepts that once that that you need to have that in order to do it. So talk about that. What is that? When you say that, we all know what that word means, but what does it mean to you in a more sort of lived way? I think the idea is that we really can't take even a step forward unless we have some belief within us that that step forward might yield a positive result, that tomorrow might be better than today. Not necessarily, because we're certainly going to have setbacks along the way, but you know, I reached a point in my life where I was nearly hopeless. And I just remember how awful that was. Probably the worst sort of time of my life is that time when you just think I'm never going to be more than this. And what this is, is terrible. And when that happens, it's really hard to get people to believe that start making small changes, start changing your mindset, start building up some strategies and structures around you to be more productive and creative, all of those things sort of fall apart if you can't believe that tomorrow yeah. might be better than today. You know, it is so profoundly true, which is, you know, the, the question that hovers around many people's lives, I think creative people's lives too, is what's the point? Because, and, and behind that question is, in other words, this is all going to go, nothing, what, you know, nothing I plant will grow. Right. This is this. And, and if you really believe that there, it is hard to do anything except take a drink, do drugs or something because that will make you feel a little better for that instant, maybe. Yeah. You know? And right. I think one of the struggles people have is that vision of nothing will grow. Oftentimes, I think what their vision is, is a little loftier than what it needs to be or right. what it can be. You right. know, that you can feel good about the path that you're on. I always say that, you know, you should have a point on the horizon that you're aiming at that hopefully you never catch. You know, ideally you're (laughs) constantly running to a new goal or a shifting goal. But I think what happens is people think, well, I'm either going to publish a book or it's worth nothing. And for me, it was, I wrote a book. Ha ha. I did something that most people don't do. Let's have a party. Right. Right. And if that's all that ever happens, that's pretty good. I'm pretty happy with that. Let me try to do it again. You know, it's so true. I, my other creative endeavor, my other main is writing music, which is really mostly for me, although you'll hear my music at the beginning of this thing, but it's mostly just myself. But I remember when I first started doing it, which was in my four, like really doing it on my computer in my forties. This is so funny. I mean, I was writing my books and I was all obsessed with results and not getting them. But when I wrote the first piece, you know what I said? I said to my wife, I wrote something that sounds like music. I am over, like, it just sounds, even it's 40 seconds long, but it sounds like actual music. And that having success be near and accessible and small, I think is so important. Yeah. I meet meet so many creative people who say things like, well, I'll celebrate when it's on the bestseller list, or I'll celebrate it when I see it on a bookshelf in a bookstore. And I just think, celebrate the completion of a chapter. Like go, go have a shrimp cocktail after a chapter is done. And when the book's done, you'd better have a party, even if no one reads it, except for the people who love you or the people you force it upon, because (laughs) we have to give ourselves credit for the progress we're making along the way. I mean, don't you celebrate on some level when you just have that moment in the middle of a chapter where you go, right, that's what needs to, I mean, isn't that a moment of quiet celebration where you, where you connect the wires on something that you hadn't seen before? Yeah, I am a big fan of feeling great about what I do, uh, whether that thing is as simple as figuring out a chapter, you know, uh, you know, hitting a good golf ball, spending 15 minutes petting my cat, wrestling with my son, 
I just believe you got to give yourself credit for making all those great choices in your life. And you pile them up and suddenly you have a life that you've always been dreaming of having. It's interesting, you know, don't not to put you on the couch because you already have someone who's couching. But it seems to me sometimes parents who stink. And I don't know about your mom, but your parents made a very strange decision about you when you were in high school, which as a parent, I just just I want to just find them and, you know, Anyway, so they were going to boot you out of the house and they did when you, you're, you're senior. So this is I, this is bad parenting 101. But don't I feel like didn't you have to go and find your own self-worth where sometimes when you have parents say you're great. I'm sure you're like encouraging your kids all the time. Right. And yeah. some, they're still going to have to find it. But like you had to either find it or die, really. Right. Yeah, it was um, it was life without a safety net. You know, I remember when I graduated from high school and I was out on my own, one of the conscious decisions I made, thank God, was I was never going to experiment with drugs because I understood that there's no safety net. And if something happens, I'm arrested, I get addicted, something trouble ensues from this particular problem that I see people having. No one is going to catch me. And so, yeah, living without a safety net, I don't think it's wonderful and I don't recommend it. No, but I do believe, you know, it got me to where I am. But I do always remember what my therapist said, which is for every one of you that somehow managed oh. to climb your way up. There's there's dozens of them who yeah. did not and they're suffering because of it. So yeah. I always like to think that I had a really difficult period in my life that garnered me an enormous amount of wisdom. And my goal in life is to offer that wisdom to people without the pain that came with it. You know, I really want that. I want to say, listen, I understand things about life that other people don't because of things I experienced and things I saw. Let me tell you, and please believe me. Otherwise you'll either never learn it or you'll have to learn it the hard way, which is the way I learned it. Right. And so I was, this was my next question, which is, so you write novels, um, but it seems that, so uh, story worthy, which is based in part on your experience as a storyteller, a live storyteller, not just a, a, a prose storyteller because you do moth you're you're i think you pro, i think you won some awards as a moth you, i mean it's all it's a competition right the moth comes, yes right and uh, you some of those events too, are. right yep okay so um but what what uh, talk about the decision to write something that's nonfiction? it's a very i mean it's such a different i write nonfiction now i wrote fiction for a while i do creative nonfiction about writing and creativity it's a very different approach sort of we, so talk about the decision to do that because it's a, almost a different voice too i would imagine or maybe yeah. it's a voice yeah it's my voice really my yeah. fiction is it's either written in the first person which is then it's very much the voice of a protagonist or it's right. written in the third person which is still a modified version of probably yeah. some sense yeah. of the book right yeah yeah uh, with my two books of nonfiction, it is very much my voice completely it's why i narrate the audio versions of both right right but both books sort of were answers to questions you know the story worthy is a sec- yeah yeah so ah. story worthy is sort of i can't spend a week with you at your storytelling workshop is there a way i can get that instruction without having to come to connecticut and spend a week Right. And I thought I'll write that book and it expanded beyond, you know, what I would teach in a workshop, but that's essentially what it became. I see. And some days today is the result of me standing in front of lots and lots of people through storytelling and writing books and giving speeches. And during that Q and a section of every one of those talks, people say, how do you manage to do everything you do? You're an elementary school teacher. You write books, you run businesses, you're a minister, you're a DJ, (laughs) like all of these things. Right. And I always wanted to say like, if you'll give me 18 hours, I'll teach you how to structure your life and adjust your philosophy and give you some strategies. 
but no one wants to spend 18 hours with me, including my own family, maybe just my cats. And so the book is the answer to that question. It is rather than throwing out three strategies and hoping that for the best, read the book, it really will help you sort of get on a path that'll allow you to realize your dreams. So it's fun. the stuff I write is similar in that it's based on workshops I took. I was teaching the workshop, well, I would like a book. But for me, even that, when I wrote the first of those kinds of books, I, I said, I started writing and I was like, this is boring. I need to discover something or I can't write it, even though I've taught this. And so I did. I, and that's the same thing I'm, the thing I'm writing now. So did you discover stuff? Because you've obviously been teaching this and teaching it, but you must have thought about stuff that you hadn't thought about you hadn't tried to teach anybody and you had to sit down and think through, did you discover something in writing it for yourself? Yeah. And you know, what happens for me is in both of the books, really, I engage in processes that are somewhat inherent and automatic to me because of lived experience and time and things like that. And so then when someone says, teach me how to tell a story, you know, my first thought is, well, I don't know, just tell the story. And then I hear their version of the story and I go, oh, well, you're making this mistake, this mistake, (laughs) this mistake. And suddenly through the deconstruction of the process, my own process, I came up with what essentially is a curriculum for telling a story. And the same thing happened with some days today. How do you manage to get everything done that you get done? I started going, well, let me look at my life. And in doing that, I just deconstructed my days and said, here's what I do in terms of preserving my spirit and saving time and making good choices and surrounding myself with the right people and eliminating the wrong people. And, and I even interviewed people, you know, I would talk to my wife and I'd say, well, what do I do? And she's right. like, you're a crazy person. Here's one of the things that you do. She's like, it's, right. it works, but you're crazy. You know, and I would ask my friends and, you know, through that process, I sort of discovered what I did that I didn't have a conscious awareness of. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the first time I was a student, I said, okay, when you write memoir, put it in scene, like have scenes, you know? And she said, what's a scene? And I was like, oh, okay. I've never actually (laughs) tried to define that. So I had to, you know, another teacher student said, oh, your stories go deep real fast. How do you go deep? And I was like, ah, you know, and I I had never thought about it, you know, just something to do. So you spend a good chunk of this book. Well, you know, the first almost third, one way or another, dealing with the issue of time. And it's, it's so Great, because I teach this class called Fearless Writing. And often the one, if I say, how many of you are having trouble finding time to write? At least half the hands go up. And so let's talk about time a little bit. You have a number of different ways to deal with it, but it's a profound thing because that is a thing people think they don't have. Right. Right. I mean, you run into this in yourself and maybe, did you always think you had time or did you discover that, did you, do you have a recollection of learning how to find the time or did you just always have an instinct for it, do you think? I think it might've been instinctual to a great degree. You know, when you're, you know, when you're living the life I was for a while, which is, you know, going nowhere and homeless and awaiting trial, you have all the time in the world, you know? And so I came out of that period of my life feeling rather um, unproductive, you know, and sort of realizing I needed to do something. And so when I got to college, you know, I started, um, two majors at two different schools, you know, studying English at Trinity College and teaching at St. Joseph's College. And at the same time, running a restaurant, a McDonald's restaurant full time, working part time in the writing center, launching my DJ career. And I look back on it, you know, I was president of the Honor Society. I was writing for the newspaper. I think, how did I do it? And then I say to myself, I did it because I had just spent a year doing nothing. Right. And I understood how awful nothing felt. 
And so yeah. to be able to actually have that point on the horizon finally and have a mission and a goal, it didn't matter anymore. It turns out you can do whatever you need to do and you don't really need to find time. You need to make time. You know, I have a production manager who read my book and sort of like cleaned up some things. And she said, the most profound thing I got from your book was the idea that I used to think I could only accomplish things if I had an hour or 30 right. minutes, right? Right. And right. she said, now I realize, oh my God, throughout my day, there are three minutes here, seven minutes there, nine minutes here. And she said, I used to just dither them away. And now right. I have this mindset that every minute matters. And if you construct your life and you and you plan for the three minutes and the five minutes and the eight minutes and the 11 minutes, suddenly you're filling your life with things. Either there are things you have to do so you can do the things you want to later, or just before you and I started this interview, I sat down, I had four minutes before the interview was to start. I opened up the book I'm working on and I reread the page that I wrote this morning to see how it sounded. Yeah. Because what else was, I could look at my phone, I guess. Yeah, but, but all right, but I, I think obviously this is what works, but the, the issue though is you do have to be in a mindset that is compatible with the activity. Does that make, in other words, you can't be distracted. You have to be all in on what you're doing for it to be a productive four minutes. Is that fair? Well, I always remind people that during World War I, there were men in the trenches oh, wearing okay. gas masks, yep. artillery exploding over their heads with notebooks scribbling down stories that might get published if they survived the battle they were currently right. in. And right. so when someone says to me, well, I'm not really in the mindset. You know, I need to be at Starbucks. I need to have a latte. I need absolute silence. I think, well, that's lovely, but you're probably not going to accomplish anything. So right. I can certainly reread a page that I wrote this morning in four minutes and look for typos and, and see right. if it's flowing, right. you know? Right. And that's the idea of in four minutes, am I going to create something from whole cloth? Probably not. But can I look at something I've written previously or can I send that email that's been waiting to be sent or can I log that payment right. or could I just sit here and what most people would do is they would sit down and scroll the, through their phone right. and I just choose to do the productive thing so I can do what I want to do later. Do you have, because you have this great uh, piece where you go through and say, um, here's what I can get done in 10 minutes. So you have this long list of stuff you can do in 10 minutes. Yeah. Do you have a kind of mental list of saying, when you see the amount of time that's you have between where you are now and where you know you've got to be in say 10 minutes of things that fill that time specifically like always you always have a list like i can do tick 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 always yes there's always a list of things that i understand i can get done in a certain amount of time and i tell people in the book make that list make a list of things you can do in 10 minutes and right. make a list of things you can do in 1 minute even and then when you have 1 minute you think to yourself oh you know what i can fold four of my son's shirts. I can't fold the whole laundry, but again, it's that right. idea of people feel like tasks must be done in their completion or not at all. Where for right. me, it's, I will empty a little of the dishwasher. I will fold some of the clothes, right? I will do a little bit of a job because it'll be less of a job later on. And that will get me to the things yeah. I want to do. You know, I learned that when I again, when I was writing music, I write on my computer. And this was back when my kids were in school and I was writing. And then when I wrote, I like, I really wanted like silence and like, I didn't need it perfect, but I wanted alone. But I was like, I could write it in the 10 minutes while he was eating a cereal before school. I found myself composing everywhere a little. And I like said, well, what's going on, Bill? How come you can do that? Which is just as creative as the novels. 
but you can't do, I, and I couldn't in my mind, like it's impossible, but this is easy to do just on the fly. But I noticed, I was like, look at you just grabbing every chance you can to throw down a bar of the, of the song, you know? Yeah. Well, part of it's passion, you know, your students, if half of them are raising their hands saying they're having a hard time finding time to write, there's a good thing in that because maybe what they want to be doing is writing 24 hours a day, which if you're a writer, you kind of understand that. Sure. But there's also the other side of it, which is, do you really want to write? Because if you really wanted to write, let's examine how you just spent your last day. Yeah. And if you spend any time in front of Netflix or social media, you don't really want to write because you prioritize. Ultimately, Every single thing we do is in place of something else we're doing. I am speaking to you right now by choice. I could have made the choice to play golf or to write a book or to ride my bike or to play with my son, right? And so when you tell me you don't have time for something, it just means you had time for something else. Let's that's talk about right. what the something else is. Yeah, that's true. And so, and have you gotten more productive as you've gotten older? Do you find yourself just getting better and better at it? I have gotten better mostly because as the years have gone by, I've just started to understand with clear sense, with a clear sense, what is important and what is not. And so I have just managed to eliminate enormous amounts of, you know, debilitating activities that are not required in my life. Right. So anytime I can wipe something away and just never do it again, I am a big fan of that. And I think every year I sort of find a new thing that I don't have to do anymore. What's important when you say what's what is important to Matthew Dix? What is well, important to you? Uh, you know, ultimately, it can't it can't be being productive. I mean, nothing wrong with being productive. Right. I am productive too. People, mm -hmm. but that actually to me isn't what's important. Even though it's a pro that I do produce stuff. Does that make sense? So what's yeah? Maybe that is important to you. I don't know. What's no? I I think you're right. I, you know, ultimately, I live my entire life with the desire of not feeling regret at the end of my life. You know, and right. that comes right. from the idea that, you know, I have books and stories I want to tell, and I have children I want to spend time with. You know, a good example of it is I know that Johnny Depp recently had a problem with his girlfriend or his yeah. ex-wife, someone like that. Yeah, I think it was ex-wife. I think so. Okay. I don't know what happened really. All I yeah, knew I was know. that everyone in my life was talking about this. Right. And I decided I wasn't going to get involved. I thought they don't need me in their life to begin with. But right. more importantly, you know, I talk in the book about deliberate and curiosity, like to, to culture yourself so that don't be curious about things that are going to waste your time. And yeah. I remember there was a day when everyone was talking about Johnny Depp and I decided to go pet my cat. Literally what I did was I pet my cat while they were talking about Johnny Depp. Right. And now every time I see Johnny Depp, his name or a movie, I think about my cat. Uh, how I pet my cat. That's now that's great because my cat is only going to live 12 to 18 years. These right. poor things, they die too quickly on me. There'll yeah. be a day when Toby, one of my cats is gone. But every time I see Johnny Depp, I'll think to myself, I spent time with my cat instead of being focused on things that don't help me in any way. And that's sort of that absence of regret. I am not going to regret the way I spent my time. I'm going to spend it well, and I'm going to spend it by making things or being with the people or the animals that I care about most. That is sort of what I'm seeking to do. That's great. You know, I love it because I always think that for a creative person, the engine that drives creativity is curiosity. I don't, I think if you're not curious, like there's nothing's going to happen. But yeah. curiosity is sort of like a double-edged sword because turn, if it's not harnessed, I would say to my students, if you ask your imagination, Show me what a space pirate would be. You, you'll see it. 
But if you say to your imagination, what if nobody likes my books? Your imagination will show you a world where no one likes your books and you're <laughs> going to start seeing that the way you would see anything, right? And so I love what you're saying because you're saying don't turn your curiosity loose on stuff that will send you down Alice's rabbit hole of emptiness, really, and just yeah. nowhere. Because you'll go. It's, your mind will ask and answer and ask and answer, right? That's what right. we do. Or just take away time from something yeah, that something. was much better, you know, much better done. Like we just worry about stuff that we don't need to worry about. Yeah. We wonder about things that we don't need to wonder about. Yeah. And what are your kids, do your students, do they, it's an interesting thing. So you're still teaching elementary school, right? It's like third to fifth, fifth graders. Is that what you Fifth graders. Yeah. 10 year olds. Okay. Good God. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> so you're doing that. Uh, do they have any idea what you know, kids don't, adult lives, the kids are like, I think in general, I remember myself, just mystery and bizarre and strangely meaningless. That's how my recollection of the adult life when I was a kid. What do they think about, because you're not your average elementary school teacher in terms of your day, your, your uh, by night, you know, so right. do they think about that? Do they know about that? Do they ever ask you about it? They know everything about me. You know, I they am do. not... I am not like the best teacher when it comes to delivering a lesson or planning content and things like that. The one thing that I have always done is I tell my students stories about myself all the time. Always the stories. They want to hear it. Yeah, they do. Oh, they, they do. They actually love it so much that it becomes prizes. Like I will tell you the story about the time this happened. If you uh, do the following things, there's actually, I have a multitude of jobs in my classroom because I don't want to do anything. Right. And one of them is story keeper. So we'll be talking and yeah. I'll say, oh, you know what? I once flooded a campground and got kicked out because of it. And they go, tell us that story. And I say, if at the end of the day, no one irritates me and we get enough done, I will tell you the story at the really? end of the day. Oh but my God. It, the benefits are enormous because my students feel really deeply connected to me. So even though I'm not teaching the best lessons, they run through walls for me. And more importantly, I can't tell you how many times, you know, I tell the story of my homelessness to my students every year. And two oh, years okay. ago, a young lady told me she had been living in her car with her mother, one of my students. Wow. And she was worried that if she had to move back to the car, she wouldn't be able to go to school anymore. Wow. Or my female students tell me they have their first period when I'm basically the only man within 50 wow. miles of them. Right. You know, they could tell that woman or that woman or they come to me and I think I don't use the products that you require right now. <laughs> right. But they tell me because I tell them the I stories know. of my embarrassment, yeah. my shame, my failure, and it opens up a space between us so that they know everything about me. You know, it's so interesting. When I first started doing public speaking and I, of course, what I do, I tell stories about things that happened to me. That's what I do. I love telling stories. That's one of the things I do. And I come down, people say, thank you. That was great. But the first thing they'd want to do is tell me their story. Right. The, and I just think that I thought, oh, I see you open up a chance for them to think about themselves in that way. And right. it's a great way to connect. And so your students, they're seeing you as a human. They're seeing you as a person. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. You know, I think the world needs more better, good storytellers. God almighty. You can't have enough of them. So if, right. if nothing else, Matthew, if nothing else, if you're teaching them how to tell stories just by listening to you, then you're doing God's work as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well, I'm teaching them how to tell stories too. I, you know, at my homework for life, they do homework for life with me. Uh -huh. We have this thing on Mondays called um, um, your, your one sentence weekend, which is find oh, the one it. thing from yeah. your weekend that is worth hearing about. And if yep. it really is worth hearing about, I ask follow-up questions. Oh, and it's yes. just teaching them what's interesting to people and what's not, which is really important, I think, to learn. Yes. You know, 
So all of those things I teach the kids throughout the years too. Oh, that is awesome. You know, and also whatever they go on to do, being able to tell a story, whether you're in advertising or business or whatever is so critical because everything is framed in story eventually, right? Yeah, what I've discovered is content, as, as an elementary school teacher, content is almost irrelevant compared to the really important things. Whether my students understand the economic structures of pre-colonial Maryland is never <laughs> gonna make a difference, although it's in my curriculum. Right. But when a kid you know, doesn't understand how to get along with people or doesn't understand how to work hard or feel good about themselves or how to be a good listener or yeah. be empathetic, you know, those are the things that I teach more often than anything. And if I don't get to that science lesson, I am at the point in my career that there's a reason why classrooms have doors. We close the door and we do the right thing. And those are always the right things, I think. You know, it's how I feel when I teach writing. I don't know if the people are going to go on to write their book and publish it, but I feel like just in learning to write, you learn something about yourself. You learn about creativity. You learn about your own voice. You learn about caring about what you think. I think it's invaluable whether you publish your novel or memoir or not. It's the same sort of, like it's less important than what you learn about what it is to be human, essentially, yeah. right? It's a superpower in a lot of ways. Yeah. I was in Brazil a few years ago, meeting with uh, an engineering firm. And the guy who owned the company said, he now hires bad engineers who can write and speak well, because he knows how to turn oh. a bad engineer into a good engineer, but he does not ha- know how to fix someone who can't write a complete sentence or speak before a <sighs> a government review board. So he said, if you can write and you can speak, I can fix you in terms of how to build a bridge. But if you can't speak clearly or you can't write an email with, you know, any persuasiveness, he doesn't know what to do with you. So I just think you can get away with a lot if you can be the person in your company who can write the great memo, deliver the great speech, you know, help the boss craft the next marketing plan, those kinds of things. It's true. It's true. Oh, okay. So the book is Someday is Today. So um, you teach, you do a lot of stuff, but you teach workshops, I assume. Are you are you doing any, besides talking to people like me, um, this book's been out a month now. Um, are, what are you doing to promote it? Where can people find you if they want to talk to you about it or uh, have you come to their business and teach them how to be productive? Like what should they do? Uh, they can just go to matthewdicks.com. All of my all of my stuff is there, whether you want to watch videos or we have a podcast on storytelling or you want to book time with me. All of those things can be found there. All right. MatthewDix.com. Not surprised. Okay. Matthew's been a lot of fun. I'm almost done with you. Not quite done with you, though. I have one more question. <laughs> okay. One more question. What I want you to do is finish this sentence. All right. Writing. Just writing. All the writing you've done in your life has taught you anything. It's taught you what? If all, all the writing in my life has taught me that... The more I write, the more often I write, um, you know, the more frequently I engage in the process, the better the writer I become. Truly every day, it's like, it's like chopping wood. It's you write good sentences. And if you learn how to write good sentences, you can become a good writer. So it's not a talent. It's not given on high. It is truly a craft that can be learned over time. Good answer. Good answer, Matthew. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, it is a craft. Look, I know the writing I do, the books I write about creativity and writing, don't focus on the craft. Focus on all the emotional challenges. And I do think they're very important. But I think what he says is true. And it's important to remember that it is a craft. And 
it, it's helpful to take some of the mystery, some of the mystery out of it, some of the, some of the frightening mystery. There is an aspect to it with, with which is that with practice you do get better, just like anything else, and it's true. So I want to thank all of you. I want to thank my producer R.J. Jeffries. And um, listen, as always, you know whatever you do, you just keep doing it better if you do it often. So find something you love to do, and just keep doing it. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.